0: hey good morning morning it's good to be back Uh, i was out of uh, country for a couple weeks uh, training pastors and uh, actually in in the summer we took our uh, a couple months off for a life group so this past wednesday uh, we met again and man it was good it was good to uh, you know be home it was good to be home not only here in mount juliet but together as a church uh, and i'm so grateful for for you guys and grateful that we are a church family with one another so today uh we begin a new series uh it's a bit of a continuation although it's a new series it's a bit of a continuation from where we left off with abraham in our previous series walking with god we we learned that god will never call you to do something without first giving you his presence to accompany you through it. And as we pick up today, it's going to be years later from Abraham. The players are different, the characters are different, but now we're actually going to be be focusing on how to appreciate the presence of God in our lives. In fact, when you look at 1 Corinthians 6, as the people of God, it says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So wherever we go, the presence of God goes with us. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen, it says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you're bought at a price to glorify God with your body. So the presence of God, as we'll discover today and in and through this series, is powerful and it gives life and hope to all who encounter it. But does it carry that same kind of Power and presence when we take it for granted? I mean, what happens when the people of God take the very presence of God for granted? Have you ever done this? I mean, I know I have, uh, especially in the past, in moments where I've chosen to live in sin, in active disobedience to God, knowing that He was going to forgive me. Have you ever done that before? Knowing, well, yeah, God forgives always, right? So. I guess he'll forgive me for this, and there's this active disobedience. So during the series, we're going to be examining what the Bible says about that, Um, and this series is really just entitled Presence, (laughs) super simple. So uh, let's actually turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you have your apps or, um, well, if if you brought your Bible, let's turn to 1 Samuel 3, we're going to be looking at the narrative of Israel as it relates to the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we give you our hearts, we give you our weeks, we give you this morning, uh, both here at our Mount Juliet campus and at our Two Rivers campus where Justin is preaching. Lord, we give you this message and we just pray that as as a church family, as the fellowship, Lord, that we would never take your presence for granted. Lord, that you would reveal to each and every one of us the ways that we are taking your presence for granted that we would come to you in repentance, Lord, and that we would walk in new life and new power for your honor, for your glory, so that the lost would come to know you and that you would be lifted up high here in Mount Juliet in Middle Tennessee and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, in the day of Samuel, if you look at 1 Samuel 3, in the day of Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant was an object said to in a sense, encompass the very presence and power of God. Rather than right now, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, so where we as the people of God go, there also goes the presence of God. Back then, uh, the presence of God was really summed up or encapsulated or, or, or there in the Ark of the Covenant. So it, it was the Ark of the Covenant was to be hosted Uh, in the Holy of Holies in the temple, and really only the high priest uh, would be able to enter the presence of God in a lawful and orderly manner. And in fact, one day a year on Yom Kippur, he'd enter on behalf of all Israel to offer a sacrifice to cleanse them for their sins, right? So, So not only could we, if we were living back then, not only could we not enter the presence of God, even the Holy of Holies, even the high priest, he was only really able to enter uh, enter the presence of God once a year on behalf of Israel. And if the high priest was sinless, and if he followed the letter of God, the, the order of God to the letter, then God would forgive the people for another year, removing the penalty of sin, allowing the high priest to live. So in the day of Samuel, Eli was that priest. And it's with Eli uh, that our story begins this morning. Now we're going to be focusing on 1 Samuel 4, but to understand, I guess, the gravitas of this chapter, we need to understand the events leading up to this chapter. chapter. Uh, When you study the Bible, context is so important. Right? We might be looking specifically at 11 verses in First Samuel chapter 4, but we need to understand the chapters that come before it to truly understand what's going on here. So if you look at First Samuel 2, uh, Eli is visited by a prophet. And in First Samuel 2, when, when that prophet visits Eli, we understand here that, that what, what happens here is that the prophet actually warns what is about to happen. In fact, he warns them of the impending judgment of God if Eli doesn't do something. So there's a chance for repentance that we see here. Eli and his two wicked sons, Hophnius and Phinehas, though these sons of his are also priests, we see here uh, the wickedness of his sons. Look at 1 Samuel 2, uh, verse 29 and 30. Why then do all of you... This is what the prophet is saying to Eli, warning him. Why then do all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require at the place of worship? You have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, this is a declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and your forefathers' family would walk before me forever, but now... This is the Lord's declaration, no longer. For those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disgraced. So you'd think that at this warning, this would be enough for Eli to be like, okay, wait a second, wait a second. God, as we saw with Abraham in our pre- in our previous series, it was like God was gonna bless the Israelites through Abraham. And, and if you look here, I mean, you know, I did say that your family and your forefathers' family would walk before me forever. And the prophet is saying, hey, so you were a part of that, but no longer. It's with you that the blessing that I've been pouring out, not only upon the Israelites, but upon this world, it's with you that this is going to end. You would think that at that warning... That Eli and his sons would come, you know, they, they would get on their knees and repent before the Lord. He has witnessed, right? He has witnessed Eli... And the prophet, I mean Eli, is even aware of this at this point. They have witnessed, uh, they have been told uh, of, of what is going to happen, and, and the way that they have been walking. It's not even like, hey, uh, you might be doing things that offend God. You might be doing things that 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 are in disobedience to God. That's not even what the prophet's saying. The prophet is saying, hey, look at what you are doing. Look at what your sons are doing. Look at—he is laying it out before him. Yet. As a father, Eli does nothing to correct it. He does nothing to correct it for his life. He does nothing to correct it for his sons. He kind of just passively tells his sons, stop it. You know, it's not even like a sincere, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. Look, uh, the blessing of God is going to stop because of us. No, it's like, hey, guys, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing that anyway, so just stop it, okay? And they just go on with, I mean, that is the impact, that, that is kind of the way that Eli approaches this. I mean, Hophni and Phineas, Eli's son, stand in such a stark contrast to Samuel. I mean, look at what it says in First Samuel two twenty-six. by contrast, right, it, it even says that by contrast, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Do, do any of you remember, actually, that this is what it says about Jesus as a young boy as well? So in chapter 3, the Lord speaks through Samuel, right? In chapter 3, we hear this, this common narrative where Samuel is sleeping and God calls to him. And Samuel wakes up and goes to Eli because Samuel doesn't know God's voice at that time. And, and Eli's like, no, 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 just go to bed, go to bed. Right? And, and we see in 1 Samuel 3 this narrative going back and forth and the Lord speaking through Samuel, actually not only to him, but through him to Eli. The ironic thing is that this prophecy is the very thing that the last prophet told Eli. Right. So if you look at 1 Samuel 3, the way that God spoke to, to Samuel, I mean, this is, this is the exact same thing that the prophet told Eli in the previous chapter. So a second time, Right? God is merciful, right? God is incredibly gracious. But a second time, the Lord sends a warning message to Eli to repent, not of something that he doesn't know, but of something that he already knows that he is guilty of, right? That because of you despising me, right? Because of you not heeding my warning that I've placed before you, time and time again, putting your house in order, you are done, right? That is what God is saying to Eli right here. So in 1 Samuel 4, we see what happens as Eli neglects this warning twice. We see in 1 Samuel 4 what happens. All right? So let's look at it 1 Samuel 4 starting from verse 1. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped at Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines lined up in battle formation against Israel, and as the battle intensified, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who struck down about 4,000 men. So remember that number, 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the troops returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? Let's bring the Ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, then it'll go with us and save us from our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord entered the camp, all the Israelites raised such a loud shout that the ground shook. The Philistines heard the shout of the war cry and asked, What's this loud shout in the Hebrews' camp? When the Philistines discovered that the ark of the Lord had entered the camp, they panicked. A god has entered their camp, they said. Woe to us! Nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us! Who will rescue us from these magnificent gods? These are the gods that slaughtered the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. right?" So we see here that even in the Philistines... Right, the Philistines know they've heard of this God of Israel, right? They've heard of this God that is delivered. There's this reputation that the God of Israel, you know, with the Ark of the Covenant, you know, where God would actually go before and deliver his people, there's this reputation that the God that God has that the Philistines have heard of. So in verse eight, woe to us who will rescue us from these magnificent gods! Right, so they're afraid. Even though the Philistines killed four thousand Israelites and won, they are now afraid because the ark of um, the covenant has come into the camp. These are the gods that slaughtered the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Show some courage and be men, Philistines. Otherwise, you'll serve the Hebrews just as they served you. Now, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And each man fled to his tent. The slaughter was severe, 30,000. Right, 4,000, and now this time 30,000. The Israelites were like, hey, with God's presence, maybe we can defeat the Philistines. So let's bring God's presence here. And even more people died. The slaughter was severe. The ark of God Then was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. In this passage today, we discover that there are three things that happen when we take God's presence for granted. The first one is that it happens one decision at a time. Number two, it distorts your reality. And number three, you're saying that you are your own God. So let's start with the first point. When we take God for granted, it happens one decision at a time. When we take God for granted, it starts slowly, and then it begins to snowball. I mean, just look at Eli's decisions and his son's decisions in 1 Samuel 2. Uh, In in 1 Samuel 2, we're not going to read 12 to 17, but if you pull it up, Uh, I'll just quickly walk through it. So just kind of scan that with your eyes, right? 1 Samuel 2, 12 to 17. We see here in these verses that Eli's sons, they took advantage of their priestly position and privilege, right? We see that his sons, in the way that they deal with the meat and and the way that the the sacrifices happen and, and this entire narrative from 12 to 17, we see that Eli's sons not only took God for granted, but they took their position for granted as well. Hophni and Phineas were supposed to be the ones that knew what it meant to worship God. Right? It's fine if other people didn't understand that as blacksmiths, as, as tradesmen, as, as fishermen, as, and whatever position or whatever work, whatever thing that they did, yes, they worshiped God, but they didn't know everything about God. But Hophni and Phinehas were supposed to know what it meant to worship God. They were supposed to know this as priests. They were supposed to be the ones that led other people to God, yet they took their position for granted. And it happened one decision at a time, as we see here regarding the sacrifice. Not only that, in verse 22 Eli's sons were sleeping around. The priests were sleeping around. And not only were they sleeping around, like, not only was that bad enough, but they were sleeping around with women who were also there to serve God and worship Him. We see here in Eli's response to his sons, and then in verse 23 to 25, we see here that his sons weren't just sinning against others, but we see here that they were actually in their sins sinning against the Lord. Yet, even in being confronted by their father, the sons wouldn't listen. When we take God's presence for granted, it happens one decision at a time. Now let's compare Eli and his son's decisions in the way that they took God for granted. Let's compare that to Samuel's and his mother's, Hannah. So if you look at 1 Samuel 1, Right, Hannah was barren. Hannah didn't just rely on her husband to worship the Lord, but we see here in chapter 1 that she actually went and worshiped the Lord too. I mean, look at 1 Samuel 1, verse 10 and 11. Deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. And then in verse 19, Hannah and her husband then went to worship the Lord again. She then conceived. She gave birth to Samuel and she didn't conveniently forget the vow that she made before the Lord. If, if, if this were Eli, Hophnius, and Phinehas, or Hophni and Phinehas, I mean, they would have worshipped or they would have made a commitment or they would have made a vow or said something to God and because they were taking God for granted one decision at a time, they would be like, well, thanks God for the blessing and they would have just ran with it themselves. Yet Hannah, as we see here, doesn't forget the vow that she made before the Lord. Instead, she weans her one and only son, brings him to Eli, and raises him as a servant of God. Imagine how difficult that must have been, the number of tears, the amount of tears that she wept to the Lord for a son. And God finally answers, and then she offers him up to the Lord. And then we see here in verse 27, 28 of chapter 1, I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. See that faith? Do you see the way that Hannah is not taking God's presence for granted, like Eli's sons are? For as long as, we, as, long as he lives, he is given to the Lord, then he worshiped the Lord there. And then we see in chapter 2, verse 18, right? Samuel is living in line with the decisions, not only that he made, but that his mom made for him. If you're a parent, whether your children are young or whether they're old or maybe they're not yet born yet, as a parent, the decisions that you make deeply affect the decisions that your children are going to make. And we see here in verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, that Samuel served in the Lord's presence. Him serving in the Lord's presence wasn't just him saying, I'm going to decide to give my life to the Lord. No, his mom made the decision for him, set him up. Now, obviously Samuel could have not done so, like Hophni and Phinehas chose not to. Yet you see how it started with his parents Samuel was nothing but a small child, yet the decisions that his mom made and the decisions that he made snowballed just like the decisions that Eli made, Hophni and Phineas's decisions snowballed as well. It's just they snowballed in a different direction. As a result, what happens is that in verse 21, chapter 2, 21, we see that the Lord blesses Samuel by growing up in the presence of the Lord. This narrative, what is happening with God blessing Samuel, with God pouring his favor out upon Samuel, this is what should have been said for Hophni and Phinehas, Like, that was their destiny. That was what was supposed to happen for them. Yet we see the impact of our decisions and of the decisions that we are and aren't making. So while Hophni and Phinehas are making decision after decision, one by one leading to their death, we see in chapter 226, by contrast, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. So when it comes time to what we just read in chapter four, we see here in verse chapter three nineteen, take a look here. Right? Hannah's decisions, Samuel's decisions, and look at chapter three, verse nineteen. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word, and Samuel's words came to all Israel. That was the first thing that we see that happens when we take God's presence for granted, right? It it, it snowballs, it happens one decision at a time. But the other thing, the second thing that happens when we take God for granted, is that it actually distorts our reality. I mean, just consider the beginning of 1 Samuel 3, where it begins with Eli ignoring God's warnings, right? Chapter 3, verse 1, the boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. I wonder why the word of the Lord was rare at that time. It's it's a different time than we're living in now, right? Remember what I said earlier, it's not that you know our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? At that time, it was like you want to see God, you want to experience God, you want to worship God. You couldn't go to God yourself, you had to go through a priest. Well, thank God we don't need to do that today. Thank God that we can worship here in the car, in our homes anywhere we go, that we can worship him, that we can experience his presence, right? Thank God for that. Yet in that time, why was the word of the Lord rare? Wasn't the high priest supposed to go into God's presence with the Ark of the Covenant, bring back God's word and and share God's word and his presence with everyone else? Why was God's word rare? Why were prophetic visions widespread? Do you think it had to do with the decisions that Eli, the high priest, was making? Do you think that, in fact, Eli's decisions not only affected him and his sons but actually the rest of the people of God as well Now after Samuel shared with Eli what God was going to do right so 1 Samuel 3, you see, Lord calls Samuel. Samuel says, here I am. He runs to Eli, and he says, here I am. Did you call me? And Eli was like, no, I didn't say anything. Go back to bed, son. Right? And then you know, it happens again, and, and then you know, Samuel eventually is like, well, actually, you know, say, here I am. You know, maybe God is speaking to you. Like, Why did it take so long for, for Eli to, to, to recognize that maybe God was speaking to Samuel? And why, after Eli hearing this, I mean, I, mean, I mean, just look at this. I mean, look at verse chapter 3, verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. And Eli responded. Just look at Eli's response here as well. It just goes add on to effect after effect what's happening here and, and the fact that the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread, right? Look at this. Samuel told Eli everything that happened, that God spoke to him second time. The, pro- you know, the, the prophecy is coming to Eli, and Eli responds like this. He is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. I mean, just look at his response. What does that tell you about his heart and about his posture toward God? I mean, is... Eli just trying to be cool. He's like, well, you know, this little Padawan is trying to learn God's voice. And, you know, I'm supposed to hear God's voice, but I'm not here. I haven't heard God's voice in a really long time. Even though a prophet came and spoke to me, I was like, I don't know. Maybe that's just him. I, I don't even know if I can tell if this is God or not. And then this little kid says something similar. I mean, if God were to speak, shouldn't he speak to me? And why is he speaking to this little kid? So is that what's going on in his heart? Is he prideful? Is he trying to be stoic? It, it kind of reminds me of, you know, in those movies where it's like, hey, the ship is going down and the captain will not leave. And he's like, I will not leave. I need to be the last one off this ship. And even if everyone is off the ship, he was like, I will not leave. I will go down with this ship because it's my fault. Right? He's like, you know, he's trying to be like all this bravado. Like, is that what Eli is feeling in this moment? Has he just accepted his fate? What has happened to Eli's reality? Why is his reality so distorted? I mean, he of all people understands as the high priest who is supposed to represent the people of God once a year to ask forgiveness for their sins, he of all people knows how powerful and how important repentance is. He knows that. So why didn't Eli get on his knees, fall prostrate and fall flat on his face before God when for the second time he hears a prophecy of what is about to happen? He of all people knows how important the power and presence of God, yet his reality is so distorted that it's like he doesn't even care. We see here that Eli's disregard for God's instructions, right? One decision at a time actually led to a hardening of his heart and his inability to distinguish his voice. And that's what happens. When we take God's presence for granted, it happens one decision at a time until we get to the point where we can't even distinguish and discern what is from God and what is not. His reality was so distorted that his judgment was desensitized. I mean, just think if Eli was that in tune with the Lord, if his reality was not so distorted, then when Samuel came to Eli the first time in 1 Samuel 3, do you not think Eli would have recognized right away? Why did it take him a bit? Why did it take him a couple times to say, oh, maybe God's speaking to you? I wonder if it had been that long since Eli had heard or focused on God. Now, when we look at what happens in 1 Samuel 4, remember 4,000, 30,000, right? After the Israelites in 1 Samuel 4 go out to battle, they lose 4,000 men on the battlefield. Now, look at what happens in 1 Samuel 4. You would think, right, you would think that with this, that the Israelites would then consult God, I mean, afterwards, but actually before. Look at 1 Samuel 4. Did the Israelites even consult God? I mean, look at these verses here. In Samuel's words came to all Israel. Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped at Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped at Ephraim. It doesn't say why the Israelites went out to battle. But in other instances, it says why the Israelites would go out. To battle, Why does it not say here, why does it not give us a reason for the Israelites going out to battle? Maybe the Israelites were just like, well, I mean, we haven't heard from God in a long time. Anyway, we're just, you know, maybe, maybe we are just bored or maybe they, you know, maybe, maybe they like made us mad or, or gave us a bad look. And we're like, oh, you know, I don't like you. I'm, you know, I'm bored. You know, let's, let's do this. I mean, why did they go to battle? It doesn't give us a reason here. Perhaps they didn't even consult God. It just says that they went out to battle. And then, not only did they lose after going out to battle, they ask a really good question in verse 3. Why? So when the troops returned to the camp, right, after 4,000 people were dead, the elders of Israel. So at least it was the elders of Israel, right? The leaders that asked this. Why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? So they're like, is God against us? That we would lose 4,000 people? Let's bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh. Then it'll go with us and save us from our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. And then when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord entered the camp, all the Israelites raised such a loud shout that the ground shook. Do you see what's missing here? Does this remind you of maybe another parable in the New Testament where that man who had so much stored up, he had so much wealth that he said, hey, I, I, I have amassed so much that I'm, I, you know, I think to myself, actually, that maybe I should build another storehouse to store all of this wealth that I have amassed myself. You remember that parable that Jesus talks about? This self-centered, I, 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 I. I mean, the elders of Israel asked a really good question, but they didn't even wait for God to respond. Right? They didn't even ask God. It was like they were asking themselves, and they were like, oh, you know, we're the elders of Israel. God placed us here. You know, we're in leadership. If if we make a decision, obviously that's God making a decision because he wouldn't have placed us in this position. So so they're taking their 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 position for granted, they're taking God for granted, they're making decisions by themselves on behalf of the Lord, not only the elders of visual, but the priests, right? Hophni and Phineas are just going along with it. No one's worshiping God. No one's seeking God. They're treating God's presence as a party favor. The Ark of the Covenant, just bring it along. You know, we're in control of God. We can bring God wherever we want. If we bring God to here, if I just sanctify my sin with a little prayer of forgiveness with God's presence, then maybe it's going to be okay. Right? They're treating God's presence as icing on the cake rather than as being the whole cake, as being everything. So after Hophni and Phinehas bring the ark of God, by the way, we don't even know, right? I mean, yes, the elders of Israel took God's presence for granted, but Hophni and Phinehas, they, it's, it's like they were just, it's crazy, right? I mean, they're just going along with the ride. They just go, they're just like, here you go, here's the ark of the covenant, You asked for it, this is our job, so we're going to bring it over to you. I don't really care. So after they bring the ark of God onto the battlefield as an ornament, we see here that then 30,000 Israelites died. And if that wasn't bad enough, the ark of God gets captured, and then uh, then, then Hophni and Phinehas die as well. So when they came for the ark in 1 Samuel 4, here's another question. Why didn't Eli the high priest speak up against it? We get that Hophni and Phinehas were not following God and taking their position for granted. And and they were letting their decisions snowball one thing at a time. But Eli, at least, I mean, as the high priest, knowing what was going to happen, having been prophesied twice about what was going to happen, why do you think Eli didn't speak up against it? He knew the gift of the ark, right? At least Eli in his life knew, he knew, right? He knew how the ark of the covenant pres- you know, represented the presence of God. He knew how it needed to be approached with reverence and not treated cavalierly. In fact, it was the distress of the ark being out of his sight that in chapter 4, verse 13 actually gave Eli deep anxiety, I mean, this gave Eli more anxiety than even his sons being in battle. Even even more anxiety than Israel being defeated in battle. That is what was giving Eli deep anxiety. Now, here's a question for you. Have you ever set a course, made your plans without consulting God first, and then asked God to bless it? And your prayers for God to lead you, to bless this, to guide. I mean, it was sincere, right? You were even praying and fasting, asking other people to pray for you, coming to worship as a church body, writing out your prayer requests, begging God, asking God to bless and to guide and to lead you. But did you ever ask God in the first place. The third thing we see in this passage is that when you take God for granted, you are basically saying that you are your own God. When we make decisions, our own decisions, despite God's leading, despite his warning, we're basically showing God who we truly reverence and worship. And it's not him. I mean, consider Eli, right? His skewed judgment. Eli is warned twice in prophecy. He even warns his sons once, but there is no change. Eli honored his sons more than God. Eli didn't recognize God's voice at first when calling Samuel. Uh, Eli allowed the ark to be taken. He allowed his sons to be killed. He allowed Israel to be slaughtered. He allowed the shock of the news to actually kill him because he didn't repent. And he also led his daughter-in-law stress-induced labor and his own eventual death, uh, you, know, you know, and even the fact that his grandson was named Ichabod, right? His, his grandson's name is Ichabod. We're like, what the heck does Ichabod mean? But back then, I mean, it says even here, Ichabod means the glory of God has departed. Can you imagine if your name meant the glory of God has departed? Hey, what's your name? Ichabod. Oh, you're the reason we're like this right now? Wait, wait, your grandfather is Eli? Wait, your dad is Phineas? You're that Ichabod? Like, I'm sure he went to every ornament shop and could never find Ichabod because no one would ever celebrate the name Ichabod. Or imagine carrying that with you as your legacy for your entire life. Where's the Ark of God? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Philistines have it. Why? Ichabod. No, seriously, like, just imagine that legacy for the people of God. I mean, may, may the Lord have mercy on us. Seriously, may the Lord have mercy on each and every one of us. Because I know that we all make plans without consulting God first, and we ask God to bless them. If you're like secretly like, yeah, I know, oh, yeah, I, I did that, I've done that, don't worry, we all do it. <laughs> we all do it. But as we see what happens one decision at a time, as we continue to chart out course, a course for our life on our own and ask God to bless it thereafter, I mean, do you see what happens if we continue down this route? to see what happens if the decisions that you make today, tomorrow... I mean, I've had friends who've moved across countries, the country, who have moved cities, who have uprooted their families from great church families like ours and said, oh, but you know, God has given me a promotion. You know how much more money I'm going to make? And I'm going to make this much more money... Which means I'm not going to have to travel as much. Which means I'm not going to have to work as much. Which means I'm going to have more time for church. And I'm going to have more time for family. So of course God is in this move. And then I follow up with them. Real story. And their their, their families are broken. They're actually working. They actually have lost their job. That was supposed to be a better one. The life that looked so much better. I'm not making this up. It's years of repentance that then need to happen. Not only years of repentance, not that repentance takes years, but it's you're repenting, but dealing with the consequences of that action. Just because something looks good in our eyes, just because you got into that Ivy League school that you so That your parents, that you wanted, that just because you got that job, that you, it was like your childhood dream or an opportunity came up. It was like, how can I pass this up? It's once in a lifetime. Just because good things happen doesn't mean they're God things. So what does it look like for us as a church in every decision we make, small or large, to say, Lord, here I am. Like Samuel, Lord, here I am. Guide me. Lead me, step by step, moment by moment. Friends, when we take God for granted, it doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us. Just imagine what would have happened if Eli didn't take God for granted. Imagine what would have happened for Phineas and Hophni. Imagine what would have happened for his daughter-in-law. Imagine what would have happened in Samuel's life and in Ichabod's life if Eli didn't take God for granted.